0: We have with us, uh, Denny Johnson, who's going to be, uh, just, there was a word I'm looking for here. Um, sparking the flame for missions in us. And it doesn't mean you have to go to North Africa like they did. Could, Cause they were sitting here just like y'all <laughs> and they earned a the missionary from Africa. Just let God be God. But it does mean this. Wherever your feet are, that's where you should be sharing the gospel. Amen. That's where you should be shining the light. And so that's, uh, hopefully that will, uh, will uh, stir us to whether it's in our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, school, whatever. We want God to shine through us. Amen. So I'll pray. Then the kids will be dismissed and Denny will come. So let's pray. Lord, we just love you. We love you so much. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us that makes all things new. It makes all things new. May we trust that all things will be new and you will be with us for our futures. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, welcome Denny as he comes to bring the word.
1: Good morning, church family. So good to be here this morning. I know I speak for all my family, which if you don't know me, I'm Denny, by the way, my wife, Angelina, Brianna, Darian. I think most of you guys know us already, but just in case, uh, I can speak for all of our family that we are so happy to be here this morning and see all of you again and love on you guys again and be loved by you um, It's the body of Christ, and we're a family. So it's so wonderful to see all you guys this morning. We um, uh, this uh, when we were back here in May, uh, when we first got back, we kind of gave an update of on, on how the year went and um, how how everything was was doing in Africa. So this time, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about what it looks like going forward and um, the future. Um, so, if you guys want, let's uh, let's open our Bibles to Judges six. Uh, the two texts today will be Judges six and Second Chronicles twenty. And while you're going there, I'll just uh, give a little background um, on Judges six. Um, and so, so in. Uh, in the sixth chapter of Judges, uh, God says that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gave them into the hand of the Midian for seven years. Now, this wasn't, um, it, it was a conquering, but it was more of an oppression. They would come and they'd take the, the crops once, they, uh, once the children of Israel harvest them. They would keep them beaten down, oppressed constantly. Um, and so it was a desperate time for them. And after seven years, the children of Israel were, were asking, asking the Lord, crying out to him. And so God sent a prophet, an unnamed prophet to the Midianites or, or, or to the children of Israel, I mean, and explained to them why he was allowing this to happen. And then in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came to speak to Gideon. Um, and that's where we pick up in Verse 13. And verse 13 says, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And if we want to turn to Second Chronicles, we'll go ahead and, and read that as well. Second Chronicles 20. It's a very familiar chapter for a lot of you. Um, King Jehoshaphat is being surrounded by a great horde. Uh, What did King Jehoshaphat do? He said he was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord. And then in today's verse, uh, verse 12, the last part of it, he, he, he is crying out to the Lord saying, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Oh, God, we just we just thank you for the ability and access this morning to to worship you, the God of all gods, the king uh, of all kings, like we sang this morning to 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 praise your holy name together, to to cry out to you and pray together and to open your holy word together as the body of Christ. So thank you, Lord, for that. We just ask that the words uh, that are, are coming from this pulpit this morning would be honoring to you, O God, and bring glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been lost? you ever driven, been driving somewhere? I don't know all you men now are like looking sheepishly around, like... Uh... <laughs> Maybe taking a wrong turn, ignored your wife's instructions, ended up in a neighborhood where you you don't belong, that you've never been before, doesn't look familiar at all, and it's clear that you're not wanted there. Um, And you you start to feel a little bit nervous and a little bit scared that, um, you know, maybe I should try to find a way out. You decided to take this route, and your wife said the other way. So you're you're trying to act cool, and um, but you knew you you know deep down inside that if you stayed, nothing good will happen. I know I have a habit of doing this, uh, but I also have a habit also of of going down roads that just get narrower and narrower, um, and, and there's no place to turn around. Um, I remember one time when we were at language school in France. We were just outside Paris and I took a wrong turn off a circle. Um, I thought it was the right turn. My wife thought it was a different one. And I I took this this turn off a a traffic circle Um, and immediately, within seconds, we were in traffic. And for the next hour, we sat in traffic, couldn't turn around. We were trying to get to the next exit and and nothing good was going on in that car at that time, I can tell you. We, um, what about if you just agree, if, if you agree to do something at work, um, or, or at home and, and pretty quickly you realize that you're way over your head, that this task is too great for you and you're not sure how to get out or even finish it. Or may, maybe you walked into a place now, this might be before you're, 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 you're giving your life to Jesus, but well, maybe you walked into a place Somewhere, an establishment, and you quickly realize that nothing good is happening in this place. And you can just feel the, the weight of it and you can see it, it's palpable. Now, most of us can attest to, to one of these or, or maybe all of them, if you're a guy, maybe. Um, but what about a place? Can you imagine where there are no Christians? Can you imagine this country, this city, this town? With no Christians at all, you are the only Christian. Life uh, is not influenced by Christians. Society is not influenced by Christians. There's no churches. No, no bodies of Christ carrying out uh, carrying out church being the kingdom of God. That's a pretty dark and scary place, isn't it? Now, uh, now, some of you people might be thinking that you know I'm not talking about hell. Um, Hell, as it's defined in Second Thessalonians, is that uh, th- those who go there to hell will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. So the absence of God, the absence of God's presence, or, or God turning his face from his people as is predicted in, in, in Ezekiel 7. Now, that, that is infinitely more terrifying than what I'm explaining to you today. What I am explaining to you today is uh, the country that we live and serve in, in North Africa, Mauritania. There's no Christians, no established churches, or, or the influence of Christians. In fact, it's a government that to some extent, uh, and a people also, that that are actively against you being there and want you to leave and don't want you there and will do anything to to get you out of the country. It's something you feel even as you land in the airport. It's a darkness, a weight that you can feel. It, it, now, it, it's possible that you're, you're so busy with everything going on that you don't actually feel it till a few hours later when you're, when you're lying in bed. Yes, a few hours later, you're lying in bed because all flights that come to Mauritania arrive at like 2 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning. Don't ask me why. Probably because it's like the last stop on, uh, I, I don't know. But it's 2 on earth, exactly. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, I think, we usually arrive. Um, so a few hours later, you're finally at the house and you're in bed. Um, and maybe maybe that's when it hits you. Maybe, maybe that's when you start thinking back of why this weight. Why do I feel this this darkness that that's just weighing down on me right now? Maybe it's as you're driving back from the airport that you saw no vegetation, no grass. Maybe the odd palm tree, but no greenery anywhere. Maybe it was the 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 color of everything. It's pretty much one color. Different shades of. Sahara sand color (laughs) the houses the cars the vegetation everything is a nice tan bleak color that could be weighing on you it weighs on us um Maybe it's the welcome you got at the airport or maybe the lack of welcome, maybe per se, that as you went almost through all the security and COVID restrictions and you almost get out and the border patrol stops you. And they start asking questions and and want to figure out your real intentions in the country. Maybe it was that. Or maybe it was the $10 bribe that you had to give the, the policeman at the roadblock on the way home from the airport or maybe it was just the relief you felt that you made it home in one piece because you almost died 10 times, just driving there from all the traffic and the no rules on the road. Uh, And then you're just about to to doze off four or five o'clock in the morning. And then you're jolted awake by the call to prayer. Now, this is, by the way, is not a nice call to prayer. Now, you must be wondering, is there a nice call to prayer? Well, in some countries, like Turkey, it actually sounds somewhat pretty. Uh, I mean, and so in unison, and um, this is not a nice call to prayer. It sounds like a sick cow, uh, that's, you know, that's dying or something, and, and the speakers are going in and out, and there's three or four going off at one time from different, different, uh, different places all around you, and you can hear all of them at slightly off key and uh, but that's it, it hits you that's the darkness you feel, thousands millions of Muslims all at one time in this country worshipping a god trying to please a god that cannot be pleased by their good works that's it now maybe, maybe it's weeks before you actually feel this, maybe it's Hundreds of, of call to prayers later, that you that you actually realize what this darkness is. Maybe it's all the the poor you see everywhere at every stoplight. They're at your door asking for something. Maybe it's you can't leave the house without going through crowds of men or or, or through the neighborhoods. It's just the 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 depths and the vastness of the poor. Maybe that. Is what you feel the weight of as you witness handicapped and orphans daily begging for your help. Maybe it's the sense of injustice you feel as you, you eat in homes of, of people there and you're being served by slaves that, that can't even look you in the eye, that they're scared of you. Maybe it's the lostness that you experience firsthand. When you meet the men and women that come to your conversation class and you're talking to them and they're all desperate for something. You think at first they are desperate to leave the country, which they are, but they're also desperate for something else. But they're so still enslaved to their religion and they cannot look past that. Now there's, this is a darkness, a heaviness that you don't ever shake. Until you leave the country. Now. So all that being said. Now you can see why this is one of the least visited places on earth. Now. To put into context. There's more people that vi- visit Antarctica. Than Mauritania On a yearly basis. 20 times more people visit Antarctica than Mauritania. That put in perspective for me. It's also the last place in the world to abolish slavery. Uh, it's not really abolished, but it is a law now that you can't have slaves. Uh, this was in 2008. They they finally came around to it. Median household income is a dollar twenty-five a day. So it's not a, a pretty picture that that I'm painting for you. Um, it is a country that's lost, especially especially spiritually, but also economically broken, socially broken. But you know what? It's not forgotten to God. When we first left, God put this, this little saying on our heart that it's a country lost but not forgotten. It is not forgotten to God. And we've experienced that this year. He, he is working there. We know this because we've seen it. We've heard it. Um, our guard, Ibrahim, he, he lights up. When we are explaining to him how to water the plants and what to do and how God's giving them growth and and how God can give you that in your life. And he lights up. This is all new to him. Or when we're loving on him and we bring him into the house for a meal and doesn't know how to hold a fork or doesn't never ate ice cream cone before. So he just sits there and is pouring down his hand and we have to show him how to eat. But his face just lights up when we're showing him all these things and we can bring it back to Christ and tell him about why, why we are, we have this peace and this joy. Now, even when we meet the poor, the tensions melt away when we meet the poor out in the city, when you, when you kneel down beside them, when you, when you treat them, look at them, respect them, like they are humans created in God's image and they're not sloughed off and, and they're not ignored. You can see it when, when after a year, over a year, we've had a man in our home teaching us French. And helping us with our French. And finally, after a year of talking to him about the gospel and talking about scripture, he finally opens up enough to ask me to pray with him for his relationship with his wife. Which that in itself is amazing because many of them have multiple wives. And if you don't like this one, you just get another one or you divorce this one and get another one. And so that, that in itself is amazing. But it took a year. To that, for that filing to happen. Maybe it's in, the, in the, the conversation class with all the students coming. We start off with just a few, maybe five or six coming. Now by the time we leave, there's 25, 30 of these young men and women in their 20s, 30s that, um, that, that come and want to learn more about what we have and what we are wanting to talk to them about. Or maybe something bigger. Maybe we see God in something bigger yes there there was a church planted in montania now these these friends of ours um these friends of ours um they live in the city with us they've been in montania for 12 13 years different mission board um but when they first got there they were in the south in uh th- this city here um in the south right on the mali border um church planting Years they were there praying, praying, praying until finally one day God brought a a knock on the door and it was a man that had a vision last night of a, a, of a man dressed in white. And everybody said, go see the Christians, go see the Westerners. They will be able to explain to you who that is and what he's doing. So they explained Jesus to him. He believed instantly. His brothers believed instantly, which of course he had to bring his brothers and a few other men did. But for eight years or so, they did church, just a few of them. And then persecution came. Al-Qaeda came across the border. The government caught on and our friends had to leave that village and move up to where we are um, in the capital. But you know what God did then? He grew the church. He didn't just grow it. He exploded it. 400 people now go to this church and nine churches all around. Now, this is with a different people group than the Moors that we are trying to reach. This is with the Fulani people group, um, which is a West African people group, a minority in Mauritania. But God's working. God is there and he's working. So, first of all, we see it. In Mauritania, we do see God working there. Second of all, there's promises. God promises that we will see Mauritanians. We'll see people from every country, every tribe, every language, every people group in heaven with us, worshiping the Lord of Lords together. So it's a promise. It's a promise that even though that it's a dark and unholy, almost destitute place, there, there doesn't ever seem like there could be a church planted there, but God says otherwise. He says otherwise. So that is why, that is why we go. That is why we are there church planting among the Moorish people. That is why we go because the unreached in the world are over 3 billion people, not just the unreached, but those that don't have access even to the gospel, including the Moorish people of Mauritania. But people, people tell us all the time that, isn't this just too great of a task for, for one person or one group or one little church? Or, or um, they also say, isn't it difficult I mean, of course, the answer to all of these is, is, is yes, uh, especially when all, all around you the odds and the, uh, the 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 people, the society, even they all say it can't be done or won't be done. But that's not what God says. He says that there's no greater time to trust Him, to lean on Him, and to have faith in His promises let's go back to our text again. Let's go back to, to Gideon in, in judges six. He had a lot of excuses, didn't he? On how it can't be done. You know, he he said, where's God? I I haven't seen him. You said you've done all these things and I've heard stories of it, but I, I don't see where you are in all this. Or it was just too impossible of a task, he said. It was too great. they had been so oppressed by the Midianites. Or lastly, his last excuse was that he was too weak. He, he just, he couldn't do it on his own might and in his own might. He couldn't do it. He, he wasn't able. He was the weakest tribe of all. Now, all these sound familiar, don't they? We all use these excuses, don't we? Now, if we turn to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles, when everything just looked impossible for him. Surrounded by a great horde, not sure what to do. What does he do? He, he looks to God and he says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't this exactly what God loves to hear from us? Isn't this just music to his ears that... that I don't know what to do, God. I'm helpless. I'm 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 in a corner. I'm stuck. I'm I have no strength of my own. But I look to you. My eyes are on you. I trust you. So when you feel like you're completely overwhelmed or or in an impossible situation, there is no greater time than that to trust God, to turn to Him. Maybe when we've dug a hole too deep, too deep to get out of. Maybe when our backs are up against a wall or when God has asked us to do something that seems too large, too great, too difficult, or just impossible. There's no greater time to trust him. God is the God of impossible. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9, God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't this just against, go completely against what culture teaches us? I'll start with Muslim culture. Muslim culture says that you have to be strong and powerful and in control at all times. Even when you're wrong. How many accidents have we seen on the road? And clearly there is somebody at fault. Clearly, but that person jumps out, starts waving the arms and causes a big kerfuffle and, 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 and they get off because they cause the bigger kerfuffle. And so the MO in the Muslim culture is to be strong, no matter what, even if you're wrong, to be strong in yourself. Western culture says that we can do anything, be anything. If our heart says is Okay. Or if if we can just reach down deep inside of ourselves and find the strength. Or if you watch TV evangelists, uh, there's no better time than now to be the better you. Or maybe just think good thoughts and you will have a breakthrough. Or be bold. Be brave. You can do it. You, You can do anything if you put your mind to it. This is what culture is saying. My favorite is you can be strong like David and face your giants. This is what culture says. So our culture and our adversary would rather us look to anything else but God. But God. In Mauritania, he wants to tell us that church planting there is too difficult, too time-consuming, can't be done. Hasn't been done um, just too impossible. That's what our adversary wants to tell us and does tell us in Marentania. And some of it's true. It will take a long time. We're still learning the languages a couple years in. You can see from the schedule uh, behind me that our our days are filled with things that are going to take years Years, language learning, uh, ministry. Then after we have ministry or, or, or English uh, teaching or, or ministry with our, to do with our platform, then, then we, we meet with these guys one-on-one and, and we build relationships with them. And, and all these things are, are geared towards, with, 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 with our perspective, our mind in place, it's going to take years to, to get this done. Now, church planting in, in this type of context, in the Muslim context, is, is not straightforward. It's a little bit different than, than um, in a Western culture uh, to some degree. It's months and years of building relationships secretly, maybe a little bit more visible, but mostly secret. Building trust relationships so they don't turn you in to the police. Um, and then building a secret church than having a secret church with them. Um, But even at that point, after years and years, it's not because of the work that we've done. It's because of the work that God has done. You might be the best evangelist or have the best mission strategy in the world, but it'll still be God who does the work. So yes, it does seem impossible in a lot of ways. It does seem difficult sometimes or a lot of times. But God says in those times, trust him, look to him. So are, are you facing something in your life? Maybe that seems insurmountable as well or impossible. Maybe it's financial burdens weighing you down, life decisions weighing you down, busyness weighing you down. Maybe God is asking something of you where you can't see the end of the road and, and you don't have the faith to see that through. Trust in him now. There's no greater time than now to turn to him, not in words, not be strong in herself, but to turn to him, to trust him and see him work and see his glory on full display. Now also, would you join us in trusting God for the impossible in Morantania? For there to be Moorish believers one day, for there to be a church planted in Mauritania, one day, to see a church planted in Mauritania that is planting other churches in Mauritania and sending out missionaries to their own people in Mauritania. Would you consider joining us as monthly partners if you haven't already? If, in order for us to leave and go back in September, we still need a few large donors, five or six. Donors at a hundred per person um, or eight or so at 50. Now there's groups for everybody here, uh, but would you prayerfully consider partnering with us on a monthly basis? Also, would you consider to be a prayer warrior for us and with us? Now I, I might add that in this room, there are many prayer warriors already for us and we feel those prayers And we need those prayers. But if you aren't already, would you consider to be a prayer warrior with us? You can also consider visiting us. Pray about visiting us. Talk to Jeff about, pester Jeff. Jeff has on his heart to visit us, but he needs you to to raise your hand and say, I'll come visit. I know I didn't paint a very good picture of what it's like there, but maybe I didn't do a very good job of that. Um, Or even like Jeff already introed me with, even answering the call to be an overseas missionary and come join our team over there in planting churches. Well, um, as I wrap up here, you can uh, please feel free afterwards to uh, come to the back. We have a little table set up. Grab a prayer card if you don't have one already or a donation card um, or even a bookmark. Angelina made these wonderful bookmarks to put in your Bible. Um, and on the back is a name of people that have heard the gospel and that you can be praying for by name. Uh, there's a couple new believers on there. They have little NBs beside them. A um, couple of these two, by the way, just let you know, like Muhammad or Ibrahim, you'll be praying for about 10 people if you pray for that one name. So there's many of those people's names. Um, but anyways, thank you. It's wonderful to be here this morning.